So, today uh, marks the beginning of the most uh, special and celebrated week in the Christian calendar. Today, churches all around the world, um, certainly around the Western world, are celebrating Palm Sunday, um, when uh, Christians all around the world, there's Western church, um, whether that's Catholic, whether it's Protestant, Evangelical, uh, are celebrating the triumphal entry of King Jesus into the city of uh, Jerusalem and the beginning of uh, what's known as Holy Week. This Thursday, the Thursday before Easter, is the anniversary of uh, Jesus' last Passover uh, supper. He celebrated with his disciples. It's called Maundy uh, Thursday, as I'm sure you all know. It's, uh, it's from the Latin mandatum, apparently. Um, which is to remind us of the mandate, the command that Jesus gave to his disciples that you're to love one another, love one another. And um, this Thursday, many of you, some of you may be meeting in your small groups. You may be getting together. You may be hanging out. You may just be watching a film or something like that. Can we encourage you this Thursday, if you're getting together with anyone from the church, anyone who knows and loves Jesus, can we encourage you, get together and break bread together. Celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Take a moment, even if, even if it's just a moment, just to break bread and uh, something that vaguely looks like wine. I'm sure some of you have got some wine lying around the house somewhere. Um, and celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a family, uh, with friends, um, and just take a moment to remember this morning, Thursday. Uh, this Friday is, of course, Good Friday, a time uh, when we uh, particularly remember, celebrate Jesus' uh, death, for our sins on the cross, and as Kate's already said, we'll be gathering here for a short Good Friday service at 10.30 on Good Friday, and, and we'd love to see you all there. It's a fantastic opportunity. We are so fortunate, we are so privileged in this part of the world that we are able to freely gather as the church and mark and celebrate these occasions. And so with Easter being such a central part, a central opportunity, a wonderful opportunity for us to gather together as a family and celebrate and declare exactly the events of those, uh, those few days. What a fantastic opportunity to us to reorganize our lives a little bit and spend some time together as a church family here on Good Friday. Similarly with Easter Sunday, next Sunday's Easter Sunday, uh, we celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, his victory over sin and death. That is something worth celebrating that is something worth uh, marking, and we're going to be um, we're going to be holding we're going to be marking that with a baptism service, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. And the baptism service is is a, is a picture of of really what's happening on Easter Sunday, what we're celebrating on Easter Sunday, because it's a baptism service is a picture of new life in Christ. And so, uh, as as we go down into the waters of uh, baptism, we die. It's like Jesus going down into the grave. We die to our old selves. We die to our old nature. And as people come back up out of the waters of baptism, uh, we rise up out of the water, new creations in Christ. And, um, and it's just fantastic. It's a new birth. It's a resurrection moment. It's something worth celebrating. And again, we'd love to see you all here. Bring your family, bring your friends, uh, and we will splash waters of baptism all over the place. We'll have a splash zone down at the front and... Um, it will be exciting. But, but this, uh, today is Palm Sunday, and, it, and it, 
it all begins, all this stuff that we're talking about this week begins today um, with uh, the celebration of the arrival of King Jesus into Jerusalem. And so um, what we're really doing is we're beginning, effectively, we're beginning our pilgrimage. You know, this week marks a pilgrimage. There's a journey to be had for followers of Jesus throughout this week. And we're beginning our pilgrimage um, with Palm Sunday through to Monday Thursday, uh, on into Good Friday, and uh, on into Easter Sunday. And as we do that, as we, as we spend this time, this week, particularly in pilgrimage and journey, um, we're to turn, what we're to do is we're to turn our hearts and minds and our attention. We're to, we're to interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves. You know, this is our act of worship this week, to interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of the Almighty. Um, and we are to turn our hearts. We're still and quiet our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and we're to turn our hearts and minds towards the events of, of Holy Week and the Passion of the Christ. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in this heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, who is the centerpiece of everything we believe, faithful in everything God gave him to do. And, and so over our Easter services, over the, this coming week, we want to be, as a church family, doing just that very thing. We want to be considering Jesus. We want to be interrupting our preoccupation with ourselves and attending to the presence of the Almighty by taking pause and considering him, to consider the one who stands at the very center, to consider the one who lies at the very heart of all that it is that we are and all that it is that we've been called to. And as we begin um, our journey towards Easter, which for us begins today on Palm Sunday, um, I wanted to start by uh, reading a passage from Isaiah. You'll be glad to know if I can read it. Now I can read it. Isaiah um, chapter 35. I just want to start with this. It says this in verse um, 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But the redeemed will walk there. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness 
and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Don't you just love the scriptures? Don't you love the Bible? Just, just listening to those words, just reading those words, constantly allowing that just to wash over our spirit. Just phenomenal stuff. And, and these are words, these words of Isaiah, these are a prophecy. They're written some, I don't know, 800 years uh, before the coming of Jesus. And they're written concerning the coming of the king. And the Old Testament scriptures, the, the scriptures are full. They're, they're filled with these kinds of uh, prophecies, all of which are pointing. They're like signposts throughout the Old Testament, pointing towards this future age, this age that will uh, come this age that is to come when the old order of things will pass away and the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God will finally be established forever. And for the Jewish people, um, they would read these words, they read these words, and they hoped, and they prayed, and they longed for a time when things would reach their fulfillment, a time when the desert and the parched land would be glad when the wilderness would rejoice and blossom, a time when the eyes of the blind would be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped, a time when the lame would leap like a deer and the mute tongue uh, would uh, shout for joy. Because here you've got a people who have gone through and been through centuries of oppression and captivity, and here was a people who knew that their God would come their God would come to save them. And um, because of his great love, because of his great love for humankind, he would come with sacrifice and that he would come to save. And you find another one of these um, prophecies in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Uh, it's another one of these words, another one of these signposts pointing people to the fact that the kingdom will come in all its fullness. The fulfillment of the age will happen. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says this. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, 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 look. Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Verse 16, it says this. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. Written hundreds of years before Jesus came. Now, hit the, those of you who can remember, you know, record and play. Hit the, the fast forward button, you know, on your cassette players. Fast forward to um, first century Jerusalem. Got a Bible, Matthew chapter 21. Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. It says this. As they approached Jerusalem, came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them straight away. This took place to fill, fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Zechariah, we just read it. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Verses 2 and 3, it says this, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say to the Lord, you say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them straight away. Here you've got Jesus and uh, his disciples. They're traveling from Bethany uh, to uh, Jerusalem. They're going to celebrate, going to the city to celebrate the feast of Passover, and they get to just outside the city, they're just, just outside Jerusalem, and Jesus picks on two of his disciples, and, and he tells them to go and get this donkey. You've got to admit, it's a bit of a random request. It's, in the scheme of things, it's a bit of a random request. Go to the, go to the village ahead of you, um, and you will find a donkey there, you know, with its colt by its side. Just untie them. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone, if anyone asks you any questions, just say, you know, the Lord needs it. And it will all be okay. It's like, you imagine you're a disciple. It's like, okay, Jesus, hold on, sorry. Uh, you, you want me to go to some random village down the road and, um, and basically steal a donkey, you know, and this is going to be okay, right? Um, it's probably what's going through their minds. I think that would be fairly reasonable. Um, I, what I love about this is the way that the disciples respond. Have a look at uh, verse 6. It says the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They'd kind of gone down the road and hot-wired a car, basically. And you're kind of looking at that and it's like, you know, is, is that the right response? I mean, I guess the truth is by now they've been around Jesus for long enough to know that really they probably shouldn't bother get, trying to second-guess him. You know, was it random? Of course it's random. Was it a somewhat strange request? Of course it was. But any of you who've known Jesus for more than five minutes, you by now will be familiar with the fact that some of the things that Jesus asks us to do are in fact pretty random. You know, I don't know, he just says... Uh, you just get this impression that Jesus is speaking to you and he's saying, you know, I think you'd run a great small group next term. You're like, what? <laughs> no, I didn't think so. Or, you know, I, I, think you'd be, I think you'd be amazing on the Vineyard Kids team. It's like, uh, no, I think wrong person. You're three, three seats, you know, you're three seats out. Do you see? You know, you're sitting there and it's like, no, 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 that was, that was for Linda, that word. It's off. You know, I, I, I think you'd be awesome. I think you'd be amazing at job club. I think you'd be an amazing coach going along to job club and helping, helping out. I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've ever had a job in my life. How could I possibly be a job coach? You know, you're wandering along the high street, minding your own business, and sort of suddenly out of nowhere, you kind of get this sense of, you know, see that chap at the bus stop? You're like, No. It's like, yeah, you, you see that child of the bus I've got something, I've got something, um, I've got something strengthening or comforting or encouraging I'd like you to say to him. And I'm going, oh, great. 
Or, you know, you're sort of at the supermarket and suddenly Jesus says to you, see the woman in front of you? I, I, I'd really love you to pray for her, right? Just, just ask her if you can pray for her. You're like, awesome. I love this. So it was random then. It's just as random now. Be thankful that the Lord hasn't asked you to go to neighboring villages and steal things. You see? Actually, we're getting off pretty lightly, I reckon. So much of the kingdom of God seems so very random. And we're like, you know, oh, me? I don't know. Surely not. What was the disciples' response? It didn't matter how strange or random Jesus' request was. They just went, okay, let's just get on with it. Let's just do it. They just did it. And so having no idea what they were doing, having no idea who this donkey was for, uh, these guys just did what Jesus asked. And that's because the coming king comes to those who are responsive to him. Are we responsive to the king this morning, this week? To those who hear his voice, to those who follow his leading, to those who say, I've got no idea what I'm actually being asked to do. Because on the face of it, it looks like I'm being asked to nick a donkey. There can't be very much bigger purpose in this. It's just basically theft. But because he says so, I will. I will do it. Because I just can't see the bigger picture. You see it in people like uh, the disciple Peter. He's, 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 he's spent all night. They've been, spent all night fishing. They've laid down their nets and, da -da 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 -da, and they've caught absolutely nothing. And then Jesus says to them, um, let down your nets one more time. And Peter says, oh, We've been working hard all night and haven't caught a thing. And then he says, but because you say so, I will. And he lets down the nets and catches the miraculous catch of fish. Because the coming king that we're celebrating, that we're reminded of this Palm Sunday, comes to people who are responsive to him. Here's another thing. It, think about the way, the particular way, because I need another P, of the coming uh, king. Have a look at verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding in on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's something very particular about the way that Jesus chooses to enter Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday. You know, on the one hand, he comes as this king, um, but the way that he comes is so random. It's so unexpected. It's so back to front. It's so upside down. You know, he's not coming in on some conquering war horse. That was the preferred mechanism, choice of the day. The way the King Jesus, the way the Messianic King comes into Jerusalem is the very antithesis, the very opposite of all of that. It's very unexpected. It's very gentle. Verse 5, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. And this word gentle... It actually means more like um, humble. It means more like weak. It's, it's a word that's used um, to convey the idea of affliction and oppression. Often used throughout the scriptures uh, to describe the poor um, and uh, often used to describe someone who's, someone who's, beg who's reduced almost to begging. And so Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He doesn't come as this conquering hero. He comes as this king who's afflicted, almost afflicted, just broken and poor. Clearly a king, but a king who identifies with our pain, with our afflictions, with our suffering, with our needs. He chooses himself to come 
as a humble king, as an afflicted king, as the servant king. And in and through all of this, what we're seeing is we're, we're getting to understand how the kingdom of God works, how the kingdom of God actually functions, what it actually looks like. You see, because the kingdom of God comes not from a position of power. The kingdom of God doesn't come from a position of like authority. The kingdom of God comes through gentleness and humility. The kingdom of God comes through donkeys. The kingdom of God comes when you um, quietly offer to pray for some colleague at work. The kingdom of God comes when you, you, you choose to give up your Sunday afternoon and go and serve on the food bank and give out small bits of food to people in need. The, the kingdom of God comes, we see it week in, week out. The kingdom of God comes in power as you speak of the incredibly precious value and gifting of God's beloved sons and daughters through the job club. See, the kingdom of God comes humbly and gently. So many of um, Jesus' parables, look at the parables of Jesus, so many of the parables of Jesus focus upon this hidden, unexpected nature of the kingdom. The kingdom is described as treasure hidden in a field. Uh, it, it's, it's not obvious. You know, it, it's, it's not come with great big um, advertising hoardings and TV debates. The kingdom of God comes to a baby born in a stable in the middle of nowhere. That's how God's kingdom comes. The, the kingdom of God comes through a king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. The kingdom of God comes through Jesus crucified on a cross. It, it's all a bit back to front. These are the ways of the coming king. What about the purpose of this coming king? Have a look at verses 6 to 9. The, Jesus, the disciples did and, uh, as Jesus had instructed. They brought the donkey, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A large crowd gather. Cloaks were on the road. Others cutting branches from trees, spreading those on the road. The tr crowds are going ahead shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And so the disciples come back with this donkey and, and, and that's when suddenly everything happens. It all kicks off. Because um, the donkey arrives, they put the cloaks on the donkey, and Jesus gets on the donkey. And, and when he gets on the donkey, everyone goes wild. It's like crazy party sort of scene in Jerusalem. And they're all just going crazy. There's this whole crowd that's gathered, and everyone starts shouting, and everyone starts dancing, and everyone starts singing. You know, it's like early precursor to rave. You know, it's some exciting, I don't know, like just crazy bunch of people doing crazy things. Some people are throwing their coats in front of the, this donkey. I mean, you know, coat, my coat. Some people are just like climbing trees and, and cutting down palm, like branches off, Let's cut the branches off the trees and wave them in the air like we just don't care. You know, they're just getting in there. It's like, we don't know what to do. Like, well, let's go grab this and coat and just party time. Crazy people. And this is the moment that it basically all falls into place. This is the moment when everything begins to click because people are going, okay, the coming king has come. 
He's actually come. Jesus has finally arrived. That's what this whole procession is all about. Jesus has finally arrived. And you know, you kind of think about this. Well, Jesus actually arrived a little bit before this. You know? But if you think back to the Gospels, if you read back to the Gospels, up until this point, pretty much everything that Jesus was doing was like kept under wraps. He kept making, he kept, everything was like a secret. So frustrating. You know, the disciples would get all excited because Jesus would do something. You know, like, it's a miracle. <gasps> it's another miracle. Look at that. It's like magic. He tells some amazing parable. But hey, did you hear that? That's like insanely wise. Let's, let's tell everybody. Let's get, they get all excited. Hot under the collar. And, and, and everyone needs to know this. And Jesus would be like, shh, 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 shh. No, don't, don't say anything. Not yet. Keep it quiet. You know, the disciples would come up with some harebrained scheme of basically how Jesus could be more effective in his ministry. You know, we shouldn't go there. We should go here. This is where, you know, you're going to have much greater impact if we go over there rather than here. Let's do this. Why don't we do this? And Jesus would be like, yeah, you still don't get it, do you? You haven't really quite caught on yet, have you? You haven't really understood it's not time. It's not time. How many times is it? It's not time. Not yet. Not now. My time has not yet come. Today is a bit different. Today, Jesus let everyone sing and shout and, and dance. Today, he let everyone treat him as the Messiah that they've been all waiting for. It's today is like the day Jesus finally showed up. Today is... You know, the long-awaited Messiah is here. Today was the day that King Jesus came to town. And everything, for every, for every man, for every woman, for every child, for every generation on the face of the planet, everything was about to change forever. The story closes in uh, Matthew 21, verses 10 and 11. It says this, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And there's this sort of dramatic irony around this story as, this, as it all unfolds. Because who would have thought, you know, that the, the celebration and the festivities that we see here at the beginning of Holy Week would reach, could possibly reach the, the darkness and the depths of Christ's crucifixion just on Good Friday, just a few days later, before, <laughs> that's surprising, you know, and then before his glorious resurrection <laughs> on Easter Sunday. A week's a long time in politics, you know, it's a pretty long time in, in faith, Christianity too. Like a lot happens this week. Right now, you've got Jesus, you've got this huge expectation being laid at Jesus' feet, you know, and it's in the form of cloaks and in the form of palm fronds and cheering and shouting and singing and dancing. But the question, I suppose, is was he the person they were expecting? Was he quite what they had in mind? There's no doubt that the people were filled with expectation. The Messiah is coming um, and he's going to fulfill. Everything that Passover stood for. Every year the Jewish people had been 
remembering and telling the stories from the first Passover, from the Exodus. They reminded themselves. They knew the stories. They knew the history of their people inside out. And now the Messiah is coming. He's going to finally set us free. He's going to free us from all of our oppression. God is finally, finally, he's going to intervene. He's going to throw out our enemies. You know, the way he did with the Egyptians as they crossed into the Red Sea. In the same way, that represents a picture. God was going to now break in and defeat once and for all their enemies. And no longer would we, Israel, be an oppressed, persecuted, marginalized nation. Vindication, retribution would be as. And then, in yet another twist of the upside-down nature of the kingdom, while the crowds are waiting for someone who's going to come and rule with strength and might, Jesus, the coming king, comes to them as a humble servant. It's like, it's, it's not quite what we had in mind. When the crowds are wanting him to finally bring their people glory, Jesus comes to the crowd and he comes to change their hearts in such a way so that their lives will bring God glory. When the people who were, you know, were looking for a general who would crush their enemies, Jesus comes and says, love your enemies. While they thought that he was going to offer them deliverance from their oppressors, Jesus comes and says, I will give you deliverance from your sin. And so this very same crowd that are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us, save us. This very same crowd very quickly realized that Jesus wasn't quite what they expected. He wasn't quite what they had in mind. He didn't quite look like the king that they thought he should be. And so before they ever realized that he was, in fact, exactly what they needed, they turned on him. And what is it that they got? Well, a few days later, Jesus was arrested. He was humiliated, beaten by the Romans. The one they called the son of David. Their last best hope. Rome decided to make an, any of him, an, an, an example of him and, um, and crushed him under their feet. And just a few days later, Jesus is stripped, he's beaten, and he's crucified on a cross. And what you see in this story, um, so many things, but there's something about the difference of expectation between um, our ways and God's ways. That's what I'd like us just to see this morning. You know, the expectation of what it is that we are asking God for and what it is that God actually delivers. And those two things, just in case you weren't aware, aren't necessarily the same thing. In this story, there's this paradigm, there's this, there's this model that, that, um, that it serves for many of us uh, as followers of Jesus. Because we pray, Lord, save us. Save us, save us, save us. Do this one particular thing. And that forms our prayer. You know, um, and it could be, I don't know, anything. It could be, uh, find me a spouse. Oh God, oh God, oh God, save me from this miserable life of singleness, right? 
and get me a spouse. Like, how hard can it be? There's seven billion people on the planet. Most of them aren't married, I'm sure. There's got to be one out there for me, okay? You know, uh, it could be, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, save us, save us, save. I'm not even going to ask for myself, my sick relative or friend. Save them. Heal them. Uh, it could be, oh, my job, my boss is a nightmare. I hate my job. I hate my boss. I, I just, uh, I'm not fulfilled. I want to be fulfilled in my work. I, help me find a job. Uh, you know, um, uh, my house is, you know, I, I, everyone else seems to have their dream. I would like my dream house. You know, I don't think there's too much to ask for. I, whatever it is. Whatever it is. These are some of the things that we pray. These are some of the things that we ask for. And what happens, well, very often, quite the opposite of the thing that we're praying for actually happens. Some of you can testify. You are still very much single. Do you know what I mean? And like, we've been praying that this, God would take us, this affliction away from us for years. He doesn't seem to have done that yet. I'm still single. I'm still single. You know, um, you pray for your beloved, you pray for your family member, you pray for someone, and they get sick. They get sicker. You're like, oh, that, didn't, that wasn't supposed to happen. You know, you're praying for a job, and you just get rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection, and no one seems to want to employ you, and you finally found your dream house, and then suddenly the sale falls through, or whatever it is. Suddenly you discover that things actually don't go the way that you thought. But you see, this isn't the end of the story. The thing to remember is that God always hears our prayers. God always hears our prayers, and God always answers the prayer, Lord, save us. Always. However, he does it in a way that for this first this crowd of people gathered this first Palm Sunday, and for us gathered here some 2,000 years later, he does it in a way that goes way beyond what any of us could possibly know or imagine or have understood. It's way bigger and way better than anything we, would have actually, we were actually asking for. God had something so much better in mind, so much greater than saving a little first century country from its particular national enemy. God intended that this king who enters Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey at the beginning of the week and is crucified, dead, and buried on Friday and risen from the dead on Sunday. God's purpose and God's plan was that this Jesus, this king, would save the entire world, rescue the whole of humanity forever from the things that ultimately oppress us. And what is it that ultimately oppresses us? You know, it's not some form of government. You know, what is it that ultimately oppresses? You know, it's not the unsatisfactory nature of our lives. What is it that ultimately, you know, um, challenges us? It's not our marital status. What ultimately oppresses us is sin. Sin. It's our sin. And it's the sin of other people towards us. That's what gets us. That's what's destroying us. It's because of sin that we experience alienation from God. It's because of sin that we experience broken relationships with ourselves, with others. It's because of sin that we experience broken, a broken relationship with creation and the earth in which we find ourselves. It's because of sin that we find ourselves addicted and in bondage to 
those comforting things that we're desperately filling our lives with, trying to soothe ourselves with, that actually suddenly take over and eat us up and spit us out. God sent Jesus into the world to answer the prayer, save us. But God answered the prayer in a way that was wholly unexpected by us all. Um, in Ephesians 3, verse 20, Paul writes this. He says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. You may be in a situation right now that you might be here this morning and you've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, all your best prayers, and you feel like you're getting the exact opposite of the very thing that you're seeking God for. As we consider Jesus this Easter, I'd like us to consider that maybe God is wanting to give you something. Maybe God is wanting to give us something that is immeasurably better than anything that we could even ask or imagine. First Easter, God gave something that was immeasurably better than anything that anyone could ever have asked or imagined. Who? Who would have thought that the way to our freedom as a as a, as a race, the way to liberty, to freedom, to life in abundance was through the humiliation and the degradation of Jesus dying on a cross. Who would have thought that three days after he was dead and buried, he would be raised from the dead? Who could have, you could have come up with that in a zillion years? No one would have asked for that because no one would have known what they could ask for. And yet God was able to do immeasurably more than anyone could even ask or imagine. And he's wanting to do the same just in our lives, day to day. He wants to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. The people are crying out, save us. They couldn't imagine that this Jesus was going to save them in a way that went so far beyond their paradigm in their mind. God is good. God's purpose and his plan for your life is good. You know, wherever, wherever we find ourselves in a situation where we're saying to ourselves, you know what, it, it feels like God doesn't seem to be answering. I wonder if God cares. I, I feel like I'm experiencing the very opposite of all of the things I've been asking for. My encouragement to you this Easter is look for the ways that God is at work in your life. Look for the ways that the kingdom is coming just in an unexpected way, to the people around you. And um, let's turn our attention this Easter to looking for the unexpected king. Why don't you stand and we will minister to one another and see what the Lord wants to do. We can have the band back. We're just going to... We're just going to wait on the Lord and uh, see what he wants to do and um, be responsive to him.
Um, so, Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. We welcome your presence. And I ask right now that, Lord, your spirit would come and that you would, um, I ask that you would distribute your gifts to your church. Right now, even as we speak, the spirit of God is, um, is, is, is giving out gifts. Uh, Paul talks about this in um, 1 Corinthians. The spirit gives gifts to each as he's, he's determined. You know, to one it will be a gift of word of knowledge, to one it will be a gift of healing, to one it will be a gift of faith, to one it will be a discerning of spirits, to another it will be a gift of tongues, and then to another a gift of interpretation of tongues, to another it will be prophecy. And all of these things are given to individuals in the moment for the common good, for building up and edifying the church. And so this morning, um, just, as, just as we're speaking, Wimber used to, John Wimber who founded this stream of churches called The Vineyard, he used to talk about the dancing hand of God. And just this morning, I just have a sense, I just see the Spirit of God, just the dancing hand of God dancing over just people here in the room. And he's giving you a gift right now. And for some of you, it's a gift of healing. For some of you, it's a gift of prophecy. For some of you, it's a gift of um, a word of knowledge. For some of you, it's a gift of faith. And it may be that that's a gift for yourself. Always with that, there's something for someone else. There's something that is for the common good. So I'd encourage you just to ask the Lord, what is it that he's just given you? What gift has he given you and who is it for? What are you to do with the gift that he's given you? For some of you, um, a word of knowledge is like... um, it's like you suddenly just get a piece of information, just drops into your head, uh, um, and it's like you weren't thinking about it. So for some of you, you'll have just, maybe you feel a pain, you know, like on your body. Suddenly you've got like a, a knee ache or a, an ankle ache or a neck ache, and you're like, oh, I didn't have that a moment, minute ago. That can often be the way the Spirit of God gives a word of knowledge to one person about somebody else in the room who has got a neck ache or a knee ache or a whatever ache. And you've just got this thing just drops in your head and you're going, oh, my neck's sore. It wasn't sore a second ago. That's the Spirit of God prompting you to say, shout out that you've got, there's someone, there might be someone here who's got a neck ache. I'd love to pray for them because God might just want to heal them this morning. For some of you, um, it's like you've just, you've got a, an impression or a picture in your mind. It's just literally falling in your mind. It's a bit like, um, like a butterfly uh, has landed on you and taken off and you're not even sure that it was even there. But it's this random thought. That you just, you know, you're bored listening to Neil and you just thought something else. And so you just think it's that or you had too much pizza last night or whatever it is, I don't know. But it could be, it could be a word, a prophetic word, something that's strengthening, something that's comforting, something that's encouraging. For somebody else here, the Spirit of God wants you to step out and be bold the equivalent of your donkey this morning. Jesus is saying to you, go into the town next, next door, steal a donkey. For some of you this morning, the Lord's saying, go up the front and give that word of knowledge. For some of you, someone's saying, just shout out where you stand, that 
prophetic word you think you might have. For some of you, someone's showing you someone that you're to pray for and ask God to bring healing. And you'll feel like, oh, I'm the last person on the earth the Lord would be using. Yep, that's the point. Because that's the unexpected way of the kingdom. And as you step out in faith and just do what it is Jesus is asking you to do, the kingdom comes in the most surprising way. That's the first thing. For some of you as well, that's uh, some of you, um, the Lord, is, the Spirit of God is, is, is prompting you and you've never done anything like this before in your whole entire life and you're petrified. It's okay, you're in good company. We're mostly, petri- we're mostly all petrified all the time. Um, some of us have just got better at pretending that we're not petrified, but we are. And our hearts are racing and our hands are sweating and we're going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, please pick someone else. He goes, no, 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 you're the, God. You're the guy. Go and steal the donkey. What? That's the first thing we're going to do. So I'm just giving you time to, oh God, oh God, oh God. Um, and then I'm going to start picking on people by name. Um, uh, there's something else the Lord is wanting to do, I think, in, um, in some of our lives. Some of us, we need to prepare our hearts for this week. And the Lord wants to, um, he wants us to respond to him so that we can turn our attention towards the events of Holy Week. And we want to experience pilgrimage, and we want to experience the journey, and we, we want to go deeper into that, the journey of the significance of this week, but we don't know how to do that. And um, there's something that Kate was saying earlier on. There's, you're opening the, your heart. It's a bit like Jesus coming into the city, and you're opening, and you're wanting to open the gates of the city of your heart for the king of glory to come in. And um, there's that famous painting, you know, the Holman Hunt, the light of the world. You know, Jesus stands at the door. It's from a picture of Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, if anyone uh, hears my voice and opens the door, I will, I will go in and, and, and sup with them. And, um, you know, the famous picture of Jesus standing, holding the lantern at the door is that the, there's, there's no handle on the outside. You know, the, the only way for the door is to be open from the inside. And so some of us here this morning, we have to choose to open the door of our hearts to allow the king to come in. Um, and that's, you know, the Revelation 3.20, it's often used evangelistically. It's actually written to the church. This is, it's, it's fantastic for people who don't know Jesus. It's for people who do know Jesus. It's for us lot. Open the door of your heart again and again and again and again and again. And for some of you, you actually need to physically come up to the front as a, as a demonstration that that's what you're doing. So we'd love to pray for you.